All right, so hopefully uh, many of you have been able to keep up with the reading plan as a church as we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke. And if you've done that, where you've come now is we've been working all the way up to these, these chapters, 19, 20, and 21. And, and what you found in this passage of Scripture are, are some, some pretty cool things. Now, last week, we, we cheated and we went ahead into the beginning of chapter 19. And we saw the salvation story of Zacchaeus. Remember that? If you remember anything about that story, you remember that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, Right? A short guy that climbed up in the tree. And Jesus came and saw him and brought him down. And we, we looked at that, that, that story all about salvation that came to Zacchaeus' household. And those are also the passages where Jesus spoke the theme of this whole book that we've been looking at. When Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's in your heads now, right? Luke, to seek and to save, to seek and to save. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And, and, and I want you to take a moment to really appreciate that. The fact that Jesus would come to seek and save those who were lost. That's a pretty amazing thing. The creator of the universe would stoop down to earth to heal us and to bring salvation to our souls and to offer us eternal life. And, and when we think about eternal life, it's not the brokenness of this life. Because I don't know how your week was, but I look at my week and I'm like, I don't want this for eternity. <laughs> Sometimes we have those weeks and we're like, oh, just get me through this one. That's not the kind of eternal life that Jesus came to bring us. He didn't come to bring us eternal life of brokenness and pain and sickness and illness and struggle and difficulty and war and exploitation and all those things. That's not the eternal life that he gives us. But what he offers us is, is a perfect kingdom where all those things are left behind. And I think that this is really the deepest longing of every person. Everybody wants that. When they hear about the eternal life that Jesus offers, everybody's like, well, yeah, of course I want that. Sign me up. Everything is perfect. Everything is wonderful. I'll never be sick again. I'll never have to worry about anything. Yeah, I want that. But the struggle that humans have, the, the difficulty that we have, is believing that that could actually be true and then accepting it on God's terms. Because when we hear about, oh, salvation, yeah, that sounds good, but I want it the way I want it. And what happens is when Jesus says, yes, I came to give people eternal life, and this is how you receive that, for many people, they're like, eh, I don't like that part. And, and, and I'll wait, and I'll sort it out on my own. I'm not going to accept God's terms. But and as we read these gospel stories, we see that it wasn't any different for the people who interacted with Jesus even while he was on earth. For some of us, we're like, okay, well, that's why it's so hard. That's why I can't receive what Jesus has, because this is some guy from 2,000 years ago. This is an old, old, old book. So how can I actually, uh, you know, attach myself to that? Well, guess what? It was hard for people that were seeing Jesus with their own eyes and watching his miracles and hearing his messages. They still struggled with it too. Not just us that are, that are a very long time after that. And it was difficult for many of them, even if they'd seen his works, to put their faith in him. And as we work our way through the end of Luke, what we're going to see is what God did to meet us in the struggle. Like I said, on Friday, we're going to remember the cross. That's what 
he would do for us. But today, we're not going to look at what he did for us. We're going to see the motivation behind what he did. And we're going to see, we're going to see why he would actually do it. Why would Jesus come to us? What motivated our Savior to say, I'm going to leave heaven and come to a broken earth with broken people that are going to reject me and kill me? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he do it? Now, in chapter 19, after the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus tells, I'm going to give you guys an overview. Remember, this is what I've been doing here. I'll overview 19 and 20 and 21, and then we'll come back in and we're going to hone in on one story. Um, But after that story of Zacchaeus at the beginning of 19, Jesus tells a story about 10 servants. 10 servants with different opinions about their master. And if you're reading through that, you, you saw this. Some people thought, yeah, the master, the master says, I'm going off because I need to go receive a kingdom. And he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back. Now, these ten servants, some of them are like, okay, um, that sounds good. He's, my master's going away. He doesn't tell us how long he's going to be gone. But I believe he's going to return, and therefore, I'm going to act like he's going to come back. And I'm going to live life like he's going to come back. And he's given me resources to take care of and to deal with. And I'm going to keep on working hard for my master, even though he's not here right now. But then others of those servants are like, he's not coming back. I mean, he he's, thinks he's going to go get a kingdom somewhere else. He's not coming back here. Let's take what he's gave us and do whatever we want with it. It's ours now. He's never coming back. And Jesus tells this story and kind of just leaves it, leaves it hanging. And then chapter 20, it begins with another very similar story that Jesus tells. He tells a parable of, it's called the parable of the wicked tenants. It's farmers that had leased this chunk of land. They signed a lease with a landowner and said, hey, if you'll let us take care of this property, then when it it produces and it multiplies, then we'll, we'll pay you for letting us work your land. All right, and so they have this contract, this agreement with the the owner, the landowner. But what happens is the farmers, they take over the land, they, they grow their crops on it, and when it comes time to pay the, the, the landlord, they're like, nah, we're not paying him. We're not honoring that contract. Forget this. This is ours. We worked hard here. We're the ones who need to deserve all of this stuff. They don't need, he doesn't need any of that. All right, so again, they, they break that contract. And these stories that Jesus tells had meaning behind them. He wasn't clear He didn't tell the people, this is the story I'm telling, and it's about you. (laughs) But that's what you find out as you start pondering it and thinking about it a little bit. What you understand is what Jesus was saying is like, God is the master. And he has called you to be in a relationship with him. There's a, a contract, if you will, between God and his creation. But what has happened is people have said, no, no, no. You're a long way away from us. We're going to do it our way, on our terms, how we want to do it. And don't you come interfering with us. All right? Jesus recognized that many would reject him as he was the rightful heir coming into earth. The spokesman for God coming in and and saying, you know, there is a right way to live. And he explained in chapter 20 the hard reality of what it was going to mean for those people that would reject him. The people that were guilty of saying, we don't want to have anything to do with you, God. In Luke 20, verses 17 and 18, 
Jesus says this as he's talking to some of the Jewish leaders there. He says, well, what is this that's written? And he's referring back to the Old Testament here. And he, he quotes Psalm 118. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. He gives this illustration and says, listen, I know you guys don't like to hear what I have to say. And I know you think you've got your own plan and your own way to live life. But what I'm telling you is, God has a plan that's beyond your plan. And, and as a stone, as the, the primary building block in this building, the cornerstone, he says, the builders, you guys, you say you don't want to do it that way. That you want to build your own structure and your own way of doing things. But what I'm telling you is, God's not going to let that happen. And he's going to establish the cornerstone. And either you fall on the cornerstone and are broken, or else the cornerstone's going to fall on you and destroy you. This was a heavy word to these people, because what he's saying is, look, if you don't change the path you're on, there's destruction coming for you. Okay? And, and after that, chapter 20 ends with a series of these traps that these religious people are trying to, to, to catch Jesus in the things that he has to say. Because they've already rejected them, uh, rejected him in their minds, but now they're like, okay, we're sick of this Jesus guy. He's coming around here, he's saying all these big stories about how we're in the wrong and all this and telling us how we're supposed to live our lives and all that, and, and we don't want this anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to figure out some ways. We're smarter than him. We're going to figure out some ways to trick him so that he gets tripped up in his words or something and breaks our law in some way that we can, we can throw him in prison or even better, that we can kill him. And so there's these things that they bring up. And if you were reading that uh, this week, you might have been like, whoa, what is all this? But first they come up and say, hey, who are you supposed to pay taxes to, to Jesus? Like that has anything to do with what Jesus has been talking about. And, and so then he answers really wisely. Well, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Look at the coin. Is it Caesar's face on it? I guess it's his. Give it to him. And they're like, oh, okay, that didn't work out. So then they're like, okay, well, he talks about being resurrected and life from death. I know. We'll get him this way. And they come up to Jesus and they corner him and say, hey, all right, you talk about resurrection and the way that you know how things are going to be. Well, here's a stumper for you. There's one woman and she gets married seven times because every time she marries a guy, he dies off. She's like the ultimate black widow, <laughs> right? And it's like she marries a guy and he dies. So she marries somebody else and he dies and she marries somebody else and he dies. That fourth guy's already nuts, but it goes on, right? And she's got, all, he's, she's got all these husbands and they're all dead. But then they say, so you talk about resurrection. Well, what happens at the resurrection when all these husbands come back and they're all claiming this wife, right? And then Jesus again says, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's not even how things are in the resurrection. And so they're like, ah, oh, well, we thought we'd get him here, you know. So they're going through these things, trying to trap him, trying to, to knock him off his, his, his game. And then we come to chapter 21, where Jesus describes end times. Okay, this is the, the section of Luke that, that Jesus talks about end times. A lot of churches uh, love to focus on end time stuff. And I understand why. It's exciting. And it's weird. <laughs> and guess what? Look at the movies that you watch and the series that you stream on Netflix. We like weird and we like strange. And, and end time stuff, it's, it's those things. It's weird and we don't get it. We don't understand it. But really, although Jesus does tell us some of that stuff, 
he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on that stuff. And in Luke, we only find it here in, in chapter, uh, there, there is one verse in chapter 17 where he refers to it. But for the most part, it's just, just this right here, chapter 21. And Jesus is explaining the hard results for those who would reject him. And how the fallen world will ultimately be destroyed. But he continues to give hope for those that would follow him. And that's what I think a lot of times when we start reading the, the end time stuff, it just gets scary. And we just freak out. And we're like, oh, what does this mean? And how is this all going to happen? And is it now? And oh, I hear wars breaking out in Ukraine. Like, does that mean the end is here? And you'll see that, right? People, oh, this is the end. Putin is the Antichrist. And they go down all these things. And they start trying to put all these things together. Right? But, but here's the thing about that. What we have to understand is even as we look through the end time stuff, notice that Jesus still has, has encouraging words to say to the people that would follow him. In verse 8 of chapter 21, it says, he said to them, see that you're not led astray. Don't let the end time stuff throw you off. Luke 8, uh, 21, 18 and 19, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Verses 27 and 28. And then they will see the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, get scared, go hide, freak out. No, it doesn't say that. He says, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verses 34 and 36, watch yourselves, stay awake at all times. You see, that's how Christians read the end time stuff. They realize, okay, yeah, some crazy things are going to happen. And whether or not we're going to be here to see any of these things, we don't know. Jesus specifically told us, you won't know. <laughs> but what he has encouraged us with is he's going to take care of us and lead us through no matter what it is. Now, when some people read that kind of stuff in the Bible... It's easy to want to blame God for judgment and claim that, see, God is just this vicious tyrant. He's going to come down to earth and he's going to light the whole thing on fire. And, and, and the stars are going to fall and the heavens will pass away and, and all these people will be killed and people are going to be put into hell. And he's just got to be this evil being. But to do so is to overlook the heart of Jesus for the people of earth. Are, are those things true? Is heaven and earth going to pass away? Yes, it's going to pass away. But is it because God is a hate-filled God that, that doesn't care for his creation? That's not what we see in Jesus. And Jesus being fully God and fully man is the representation of God the Father on earth. He is fully God. He's here among us. And that's not the heart that you see in Jesus. Uh, last week, I talked about two kids' songs. I told Carrie afterwards, that's because she said, well, you could have sung Father Abraham, too, because you talked about Abraham. It's like, no, I, 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 cap out, I cap out at two kids' songs. But here's your kids' song for this week. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Right? That's this right here. The heart of Jesus is he loves all of his children, all of them, all of the whole world. He knew full well that people would reject him, but out of love, he came anyway. Now, today, here, this Sunday, is what is known as Palm Sunday. Okay, I don't know if you knew that today, but 
if you don't, you do now. Palm Sunday. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about Palm Sunday. And it's because it was such an important time in the life of Jesus. And, and I think it really impacted all the writers of the Gospels too. Because they're like, oh, I've got to have that in my story. When I talk about Jesus, I need to make sure that I mention this whole Palm Sunday thing. And the passage that we're going to study here today tells a story. So if you're already there in your Bibles, turn to Luke 19. And we're going to start in verse 28 today. All right? And what I want you to see, what we're going to see here in this study, um, is that what it reveals is it, it reveals two hearts. Okay, two hearts are revealed in this passage. Let's read it together. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And here's what it says. And when he had said these things, this is Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Now, let's go ahead and, and stop that, stop right there. So today after church, what I want you to do is walk into the parking lot. I want you to find the nicest car that you can see and one that looks like it hasn't been used very much. And I want you to try to open the front door of that car. And I want you to keep doing that until the owner of that car comes up and says, what are you doing? Just, and turn and say, the Lord has need of it. And see what happens. Please don't do that. We're going to have some problems if you're doing that, right? But hey, for these guys, it worked, right? The Lord has need. Okay, okay. well then, hey, if the Lord has a need of it, take it, go. Here's the keys, right? All right, and we go on here. And it says there in, in uh, verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So now, in reading that and looking at that, you're like, okay, but you called it Palm Sunday. Where do I get Palm Sunday out of that? Well, I told you that the other Gospels tell the story as well. And some of the other Gospels add some other information that we don't find here in Luke. Um, it actually comes from where we see it in verse 36, where it says that as Jesus rode along on the colt, that they started spreading out their cloaks on the road in front of him. Their jackets, their outer garments. They were laying them down. They were putting up like a little carpeted path for Jesus riding this little colt in, into town. All right? 
Now, I'm going to read to you, it'll be on the screen for you, uh, what Matthew tells us about this story. This is a parallel passage. It's the same story that Matthew is telling. And here's what it says. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet, Zechar- the prophet. it's actually Zechariah, saying, and he makes a quote here from this prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And then in verse 8 it says, And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And listen, and others cut branches from the trees. If we read it in John's gospel, he tells us specifically what kind of trees. Palm trees. All right? And let's tell the truth. Jacket Sunday doesn't really sound as good. It's not quite of a zinger as Palm Sunday, all right? And so that's, what, that's why they, they get this, because of these palm branches. And they spread them on the road, and they were waving them in the air. And in verse 9, it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! That just means, please, save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, today's Palm Sunday. I want you to try to imagine the atmosphere of Jerusalem when Jesus came in here. It's sometimes also, when it's not referred to as Palm Sunday, it's sometimes called, it's called the triumphal entry. It was as if a king who had just won a great victory battle came returning to his home city and being welcomed as as a victorious king. And and the people are excited. All this is going on. There's a big festival happening in town. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. And there's so much energy happening. And everybody all of a sudden hears there's a prophet coming into town. And then they see him riding in and there's crowds everywhere. And outside the city walls, this where he's talking about coming down from the Mount of Olivet. Um, if you've, even to this day, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem sits up on a hill. Okay, and you see the walls and you see the gold dome and all of that that's Jerusalem. Well, just across this little valley, like a little walking valley... There's another hill called the Mount of Olives. And so this village that he's talking about, Bethany, that's where Mary and Martha were from. That village is on the other side of the hill. And then you'd walk over the hill and then you'd have to go down the little valley and then right back up into the gates of Jerusalem. All right? And that's where this whole party starts. Jesus is coming over the top of the Mount of Olives and he looks and you see all of Jerusalem in front of you. And he's, he's coming down on this little colt and the, the crowds of people that are all mulling around, the ones that wanted to get out of the city for the day, they're out there. There's little vendors selling food and, and all these things. People are gathering together from all over the place. They're meeting their relatives that they haven't seen in a while, making new friends. Everybody's hanging out. There's all this energy, right? It's this big festival. And here comes Jesus and all these other disciples. And these people are shouting, you know, Hosanna in the highest. This is the king. Welcome this guy. And so everybody's like, whoa, what? This is, this is amazing. This is like some celebrity. They may not have even known who he is yet, but they're like jumping in with the crowd. They're like, this is fun. We, this was fun before, but now it's really fun. 
And so there's this, this crowd that's coming down and everybody's singing and shouting and people have got palm branches waving and coats on the ground and it's this, this big thing going on. And I realized this, this wasn't the first trip that Jesus had ever had to Jerusalem. But his entire life and ministry was culminating in this moment. Palm Sunday is a big deal, guys. The prophet Zechariah that we saw in that passage from Matthew, had seen this moment 500 years earlier. All right, that, that little quote that Matthew pulls out, that was a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, 500 years before Jesus was alive. And he saw that very thing. All I see is this amazing event and the king's coming in on a colt. I don't know what that means, but I'm writing it down because God told me that. And 500 years later, we see this taking place. And the crowds are welcoming Jesus as their king. And Jesus tells us, well, they should be doing that because if they didn't, the rocks would start talking. And then we'd have a whole other book, <laughs> right? It was a memorable event. It was history unfolding. It was prophecy being uh, fulfilled. And it deeply impacted the disciples. Now, the, the, this royal welcome would have been a big deal and gotten the undivided attention and also the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. And that's important, as if you know the rest of the story, you realize that's important. But here's the thing. This moment, I think, is, is good for us to think about, of Jesus coming in here and the reception that he was getting. It's good to, to ponder some of these bits of the story, to understand it. Jesus had already told his disciples, and if you read through Luke, he told them twice in Luke 9. He told them again in, in Luke 18. And we don't even know how many times he told them. He told them before that when he got to Jerusalem, he didn't talk anything about the party. What he said was, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be mocked, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be killed. That's what's happening when we get to Jerusalem. So these disciples coming along here all the way through this, these disciples are thinking, oh man, I don't want to come over the Mount of Olives because I don't know what's going to happen when we get over here. This, Jesus has been telling us this over and over again that there's bad stuff on the way. And then they, they come over the hill and this happens. Can you imagine what they were feeling and what they were thinking about there? This entry was a big surprise to them. They're thinking, how could somebody with such a glorious welcome like this fall out of favor? What were we worried about? Maybe Jesus was off here. Maybe he finally got something wrong. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine living three years with Jesus and watching the guy never make a mistake? <laughs> never doing anything wrong? Like, okay, we'll give him one. He's Jesus and all, but maybe, maybe he blew it here. Those of us who know the story know that he would be dead within the week, even though he's had this kind of an entry. And here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see these two hearts, two hearts, okay? And the two hearts are this, the heart of humanity for Jesus, but also the heart of Jesus for humanity, okay? And here's the thing, they're two different hearts. They're two different things. First, let's look at the heart of humanity for Jesus. The, the crowds welcomed Jesus out of love. They welcomed Jesus out of love. 
That's why they were singing the songs and waving the branches and putting the, the coats down. But here's the thing. It wasn't love for Jesus. It was actually love for themselves. There was love in their hearts because they're like, ooh, this guy's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. What can he do for me? They were people that were oppressed by the Roman Empire. And they heard, ooh, we've got this new Jewish king that's rising up. Ooh, can he rescue us? Can he get us free? Can he get my lands back? Can he take off away the taxes? They loved Jesus because of what they thought they could do, that he could do for them. They were hyped on the excitement and the miracles and the access to the supernatural power. That's why in verse 38 they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were in full-on party mode at this point when Jesus is coming in. Now you have to understand, this was the, the time of the Passover feast. Okay, and, and if you don't understand Jewish history, I, I, I get it. Um, but this was the time where all of the Jews, no matter where they lived in the world, would attempt to return to Jerusalem to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This was one of the big feasts of Israel. And, and they would gather from all over because they wanted to celebrate the supernatural events that had happened in their history when God rescued them from Egypt and from slavery. All right? And you can read all about that in the Old Testament. And this was the time the Passover was when the angel of death passed over their homes and ended up killing the firstborn of all of Egypt. Okay? And that's a, that's a lot of stuff there. It's a lot of, of, of old history that you can go back and, and study. But that event that took place allowed the, the people who were enslaved in Egypt to go free. All right, this miracle that God did there. And the Passover was this annual feast where they would remember the salvation that had come from God in that way. And so they're all here in this, this, this uh, celebrating this event that, that was really, it's like their 4th of July celebration. It was they're remembering their freedom and their independence. And so that idea of this new Jewish king, that coming through in power, that was electrifying. They wanted a lion, but without knowing it, they were receiving a lamb that would be sacrificed for their sins. And here's the thing. This is still the way a lot of people respond to Jesus. This is still the heart of humanity toward Jesus most of the time. When you talk to somebody who's a non-Christian, a non-believer about Jesus, and you tell them, hey, Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to save you and let you spend eternity in heaven. Most people will be like, all right, sign me up. Sounds good. If he can do that for me, I'm okay with that. All right? But the problem is it's really, I don't want to do it the way he wants me to do it. I don't want to live life the way he wants me to live life. I want to do it my own, but I also want what he has to offer. I love me, and therefore I'll say I love him. What can he do for me? Now, uh, we do know uh, that that he really can do a lot for you, and he wants to do a lot for you, and all those things are true, but it's not always immediate. That's the other thing. These people are celebrating a king because they're like, we want you to march in and kick out Rome, and we want you to build a throne and want you to take over, and it's got to happen right now. But it wasn't immediate, and, and unfortunately, that's what also turns some people away. For you to say, hey, it doesn't mean that life's going to be great for you if you follow Jesus right now, 
It doesn't mean that you'll never be sick again. It doesn't mean that you'll be rich again. In fact, it might mean that life's a little harder and you have to live a little differently. And there's some struggle that's going to take place. When people hear that, they're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not positive. But the Son of God was fulfilling his mission to seek and to save the lost, meeting the people right where they were at. And for a moment, it seemed like they might receive him. But I don't think that Jesus ever thought, even for a second, that they would. Because in all of the festivities, and with such a grand entrance, we don't see Jesus reveling in it. All right, and now let's, let's finish reading the little section that we're going to study here today. Let's read what happens now in verse 41. And it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. You might have thought at this point, Jesus is coming down, everybody's excited, they've got the jackets out there, they've got the branches, they're singing his praises. You might think Jesus is coming in the gates like, Woo, yeah, I am here. Thank you, my people. None of that is happening. Instead, everybody else is shouting and excited and party mode. And Jesus sees the city and starts weeping. And he's not weeping for joy, guys. Go on there. It says in verse 42, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. They're singing, hey, he's the prince of peace. He's bringing peace. Like, if you only knew what it would make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What we see here is the heart of Jesus for humanity. We saw the heart of humanity for Jesus, but now we see the heart of Jesus for humanity. Jesus is the king. He is the prince of peace. But they did not know him as he was. And it's Jesus' tears that show us his heart for humanity. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He has a deep compassion for us. He left the perfection of heaven to become a, 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 a human being and into our world with all of our fallenness, all of our sin, all of our brokenness. The only reason he did that is because of his deep, deep love for us. He has a deep compassion for us. And a person who has their own best interests in mind would never have done what Jesus did. If they were thinking about themselves first, he would have never left heaven. God the Father would have said to Jesus, I think you need to go save our creation. He'd be like, forget them. <laughs> I'm not going down there. To do what? To go down there and, and die for them? Not a chance. He knew what he was stepping into and he did it anyway. Jesus came to give humanity what they needed not what they wanted. He came to give them what they needed, not what they wanted. And this wasn't just some split-second decision that God made. It was a carefully planned mission from God. Here's two verses. We're almost done here. Hang with me. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul describes it of what Jesus did for us. It says there in verse 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, listen, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
In Galatians 2.20, he says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the heart of Jesus for you and for the whole world. From the dirtiest, rottenest sinner on earth, Jesus loves that person. But as human beings, our hearts are bent on ourselves. Even the most kind-hearted ones of you out there, you still start off very inward and self-centered. We're naturally bent toward ourselves. We don't think about others first. It's the center of sin in our lives. That's the root of lies and of theft and of murder and of sexual immorality, of exploitation, of war. It all comes down, it starts with self-centeredness in the hearts of human beings. That's why all this stuff happens. That's where sin starts from. Is because that is in our nature as humans. And Jesus came to flip the script. He came to say, I want to give you a new life, a new way of viewing the world, a new way of functioning in the world. I want you to no longer be first concerned about yourselves. I want you to actually be able to love, truly love others. To replace that self-centeredness and hatred with self-sacrifice and love. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And that's the message that we bring to the world that doesn't know Jesus. Jesus loves you, and he laid his life down for you. So here's the question as you're thinking about this on your own. Do you know that here today? Do you know the love of Jesus in your heart. Because the words that Jesus spoke over Jerusalem when he comes up and he begins to weep, that can be spoken over every single soul. His desire that all people would know today the things that make for peace. The things that would restore a right relationship between humanity and their creator. But his heart breaks because there's destruction coming for those who do not know, as it said there, you don't know the time of your visitation. He says, look, I'm here and I'm ready to seek and to save. But if you reject the salvation, there's destruction coming for you. And sadly, people don't know this. Our God loves us, but pursuing our own will and our own way will not lead to eternal life. That's what the Bible says. So, where is your heart? Is it like the heart of the crowd? That conditionally love Jesus if he came on their terms. This, by the way, is how a lot of people, Aaron and I were watching a show um, a couple weeks ago, and this, this woman um, breaks down, and she's this very religious person. And she's breaking down and saying, all my life I've devoted to praying and doing the prayers and saying the right things and doing the right, and, but he didn't answer me. He didn't hear me. Well, no, what the, the confusion here is, is this. What it is, is that you think, hey, if I do this and I do that and I do this, then God owes me. And, and I am going to force him, force his hand to do what I ask him to do because I've been honorable. That's not what, it, what, what is true. That's, you're, you're loving them like the people. It's conditional love. Or is your heart a heart that's being transformed by God? A heart that has been laid down before God and say, God, take me and do what you want and change me. Because when we accept Jesus' invitation to follow him and begin to obey the great commandment, 
right? To lay down our lives and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors ourselves. When we do that, we set out on the path that Jesus walked before us. And it's through him and him alone that our hearts can be changed. I'm going to finish here with just this one verse. Um, and I'm just going to read it to you. James, the worship, worship team, you guys can come on back up. Here's what, as we've looked at these two hearts, here's what the Bible says God wants to do with us. There's this heart of humanity toward Jesus, but there's a heart of Jesus toward humanity. And what God wants to do is change your heart. And here's what it says back in the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 23 to 28. It says this, And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And listen, he says, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your, all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And look what it says, verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is what the life of a Christian is actually supposed to be like. We're not supposed to just try harder. I hope you're not hearing that today. I'm not saying, you guys just got to try harder and then you'll really be able to love Jesus and then you'll see something happen. No. What God says is, come to me, accept my invitation to come to me and I will put a new heart in you. I will put my spirit in you. I will change you if you really surrender yourself to me. And that's what God is calling us to do. And that's the message that we're called to bring to the people around us that don't know Jesus. Let's pray together here this morning. Father, I do pray that every person here would have a new heart. And so God, today we ask that you would give us new hearts. Sometimes we, we try really hard and, and we work really hard to, to uh, somehow get your attention, but your attention is already on us. You're already paying attention. You're already looking from heaven into our hearts. And you know us, Lord. You know us better than we know ourselves. But Lord, we can't do it. And so God, today we'd come before you and say, here we are. Search us, as the Psalm says. Search, search me and know my way. Search my heart, O oh God. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me on the path to righteousness. God, I pray that you change us. I pray that you deliver us. I pray that you'd heal us. I pray that you'd allow us to be the people that you want us to be. And so right now, where you're sitting, where you're at, I'd encourage you to talk to the Lord. I'd encourage you to just pray in your hearts. It doesn't have to be out loud. Pray and just say, Lord, search my heart. Am I walking the way I'm supposed to walk? Am I on a path leading to destruction? Or am I on a path leading to life? And as you're honest with yourself here this morning, if you're on that path leading to destruction, then let Palm Sunday of 2022 be the day 
that you get on the right path and that you reject that path and instead turn toward him and allow him to transform your life. And if when you check your heart, you know, oh, I am on the right path, then for you today, I would say, it's time for you to rejoice and to sing praises to your God. Go home and cut down a palm tree and do what you need to do. But, but we should be rejoicing that our King has entered in, that our hearts have been changed and we are being changed. None of us are perfect, but we're being transformed by the living God and we know that he will never leave us or forsake us, but that he'll carry us through the path that we have in front of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you did. We thank you for your heart for us. We pray that we would know that and that we would rejoice in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.